just another rando on the internet. There's beauty in chaos. March 23rd, 2022. The inspiration, the random. There is a certain fate to the universe and a certain randomness. Harlan Coben. If you ask me where I might live someday, I don't think Colorado would have ever made it on the list. I'd never been to Colorado, except for maybe a layover. I might have gone to a writing conference in Denver once. But honestly, writing conferences are all held in the exact same hotel. And when I was at writers conferences, I never went anywhere aside from the bar. But here I am, living in Colorado as a result of a random happenstance, falling in love with a dude from Colorado. It's lovely, and I'm really enjoying it, but it never would have happened without the power of the random event. Life is a series of random events. We can plan what we can plan, but mostly we're surfing the waves of destiny or random chaos. All depends on how you look at it. The Fat Orange Cat. Pick a number. Any number. In your work today, I want you to look around you and pick three things. Can you see a tree outside your window? Maybe that's a thing. Your old yearbook? Maybe a cat toy under the desk? Whatever. Pick three things and then find a random number generator on the internet and have it choose between one and three. Then weave that element into your work. The trope. Hands-free hand lamp. For today's trope, I went to TV Tropes and hit their random trope button, and it gave me hands-free hand lamp, which refers to video games in which the main character's area of focus is somehow always illuminated, even though we may not have a textual light source present. Which of course makes sense. If the player can't see what they're doing, the game is failing to utilize one of its biggest strengths, the visual medium. But when you think about it, all storytelling is about illuminating what the protagonist can perceive. I don't know, trying to make something out of this, but I'm not sure there's much of anything deeper here. That's the beauty of the random. Sometimes it's great, and sometimes it's just random. The question. I think, I really hope, it was you who made the distinction that Breaking Bad is not a story about a good man gone bad, but rather a story about, and then I can't remember. Can you refresh my memory and also share any other examples of that kind of story? I'm taking a class on fairy tale heroines with the awesome Dr. Sarah and Brittany of the Carter Haw School of Folklore and the Fantastic. One of our texts is the Tamsin Muir book, Princess Florinda and the Forty Flight Tower. In it, spoiler alert, traditional princess type winds up becoming kind of a monster as she is forced to rescue herself by doing grueling and gory battle with a series of monsters trapping her in the tower. The princes who came just weren't up to the task. I wanted to share your thoughts on Breaking Bad because it seemed like a sort of similar scenario. Floralinda, as it turns out, kind of likes killing things after a while. Jamie. Dear Jamie, First of all, that class sounds amazing. Second, I'm sorry for the delay in my response. If you're still in the class and want my answer, here it is. A warning for anyone who hasn't seen the show. Here be spoilers. I would definitely give it a watch, though, if you haven't seen it. I don't care for violence, and I'm way tired of bad guy with a soul narratives. See The Sopranos, Mad Men. But this one has enough story value that if that's your jam. It's worth it. I've often said that Breaking Bad isn't a story about a good man gone bad, but a weak man succumbing to temptation. I will also say that I first heard this in conversation with someone who gave me that original insight that Walter White is not a good man, but a weak one. And I want to say it was Dr. Kelly Jones who first said that to me, but I honestly can't remember. Anyway, as soon as that person said it, I agreed wholeheartedly, and it made Breaking Bad even more interesting for me. 
Walter is a weak person. He isn't quote unquote good because he actively chooses good. He just passively chooses whatever is easiest. When he's diagnosed with cancer and doesn't have any money to leave for his family, he doesn't resist breaking bad because it's the wrong thing to do. He goes for it because he has nothing left to lose. His family, who will possess the ill-gotten gains after Walter's death, may have to pay the price for that, but he doesn't really worry about that. Then, once he starts making the drugs, he becomes a shadow self, and he likes it. For the first time in his life, he's genuinely good at something, and it's intoxicating. He likes the money. He likes the power. He likes being the one who knocks. At no point does Walter really wrestle with whether what he's doing is good or bad, only with whether he'll get caught or not. He's not a good man gone bad. He's a weak man doing what he damn well pleases because he can Without having read Muir's book, an oversight I'm about to remedy, I would say that you might have something similar here. The cues are in who she is before the opportunity to kill and who she is after. If she's killing monsters and just likes it, that's not necessarily a bad thing because she's doing something that's for the ultimate good and protection of others. But if she kills something that is not a danger to others and enjoys it and doesn't struggle with whether it's right or wrong, she might be closer to Walter White. Thanks so much. Great question. Practical. Why I love The Mindy Project. Anyone who knows me knows what a huge fan I am of The Office, so when Mindy Kaling, who played Kelly Kapoor on the show and was a writer who penned some of my favorite episodes, went off to create her own show, I followed. The Mindy Project centered on Mindy Lahiri, a New York City gynecologist with a penchant for the ridiculous, had a lot of things I don't typically enjoy. There is a frequent humiliation of the female protagonist. Some characters, like Nurse Morgan Tukers, are joke vending machines, which precludes any possibility for connection. And the main romance doesn't resolve in an emotionally satisfying way. But still, I watch the whole thing through about once a year because I love it, despite the things about it that would ordinarily repel me. I don't mind Mindy being the butt of the joke, which is something I have really disliked in stories like Two Weeks Notice and Bridesmaids, because we are always in her perspective, which comes from a place of strength. The character of Mindy Lahiri, distinct from Mindy Kaling, is confident and strong and has a healthy sense of self, and the humiliating scenarios usually end up with a focus on her positive qualities. They also have an inside-out quality to them, where Mindy is laughing at herself rather than others laughing at her. She also comes from a place of power. This is her story from her perspective. She's a successful professional woman with a lot of privilege, and she is aware of that privilege. Something about that particular cocktail makes a character I ordinarily wouldn't enjoy an absolute delight for me. I will never like the nurse characters, all of which are joke vending machines, and which, as I write this, could be solid textual arguments for classism in the show, especially considering that a couple of the nurse characters just disappear without so much as a goodbye, as others are slid in their place as though the pieces were interchangeable. That said, while I'm not a fan of the writing for those characters, I really enjoy the performances from the actors, who do a lot with something that gave them very little. The romance with Dr. Danny Castellano, played by Chris Messina, is a lot of fun at first, but it goes off the rails and then back on and off again. And while Messina lends a great deal of charm and emotional weight to the character, Danny Castellano is such an asshole that I find it hard to get past after a while. But man, when Mindy brings the emotional pain in this story, she brings it. For someone who is so funny, Kayleen has the ability to play a deeply affecting emotional moment in a way that is so raw and vulnerable and real that I deeply want her to start writing and starring in romantic comedies. She wrote and starred in Late Night with Emma Thompson, which was charming, but she's been mostly doing television work. 
Anyway, even with its flaws, I heartily recommend The Mindy Project if you're looking for something light and fun and surprisingly emotionally affecting from time to time. It hit just the spot for me during these last few weeks of unpacking and settling in. Kayleen is the most reliable person to make me laugh at the things I've seen a thousand times. Weightlifting. You don't know what you're carrying until you put it down. March 26, 2022. Dear writer, a few days after I arrived in Colorado, by coincidence, my best friend, Dr. Kelly Jones, had a Denver work trip already in her schedule for that week, and we got to hang out for an evening exploring Boulder's Pearl Street Mall, which I heartily recommend if you ever get a chance to visit. We had dinner at Pasta Jay's, sitting on the sidewalk, listening to the live music coming from the sidewalk by the restaurant across the street, and watching people meander by on the blocked-off road. Kelly looked at me and said, how does it feel? And I responded honestly that it felt like a vacation. It did not feel like I live here, among the mountains and the funky bookstores and the sunny weather. It'll take about two weeks, she said. She was right. On Wednesday, two weeks to the day after I got here, Ian and I were driving down 93, heading back home from Boulder, where we went to the happiest place on earth, the Apple Store, and I kept saying with a mix of shock and wonder how light and happy I felt. I've been carrying a lot of weight for a really long time. I thought I was tired every day because of menopause or because I was just old. Ian used to call 2.30 my head in two hands time because that was the point of the day when I just couldn't anymore and had to take a break from work before going back in and forcing myself through the rest of the day. Now I'm finding myself hitting 3 p.m., which is my 5 p.m. as I'm up at the butt crack of dawn doing a full work day on Eastern time, and I've still got energy to burn. I want to go for a walk or run errands or drive out to Boulder to hit the Apple store. I want to do things. I haven't felt that way for a long time. After the last five or so years of jumping from one global dumpster fire into the next, I imagine a lot of us are feeling drained and tired and like we just can't anymore. And let's face it, there are some weights that we can't put down, no matter what we do. I'm really lucky in that the things that were draining me the most were finally put downable, so I did. What I wish I'd known back before I put them down was just that it wasn't me. I wasn't failing to deal. I was just carrying too much, and it was too hard, and I wasn't giving myself enough space to move slower because I was constantly comparing myself to the person I used to be before everything got so damn heavy. I remember in the last years of my very dark second marriage wondering why I was so tired all the time. It wasn't because something was wrong with me. It was because my world was broken, and I was trying to carry on as though it wasn't. So I guess this ramble letter, my first back after the exhaustive breakdown and rebuild of my life, is to let you know that it's not you. There's a reason why you are tired. If there's a weight you can put down, definitely do it. But if not, acknowledge that the weight is there and know that there is nothing wrong with you. I'll be back next week talking about writing again. The new life starts now. Everything out.